of Vixen, a Black beauty and pop culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is a special end of the year round. Now, let's start the show. Season's greetings, happy holidays, because when you guys hear this, it's going to be the day before Christmas Eve, so happy holidays to you guys. I hope y'all are enjoying Christmas, and you're going to have a good New Year's Eve as well. Um, Today, I have a special episode for y'all. I just wanted to do a quick roundup episode as the year comes to a close. I started Vixen in August of 2020. I had the idea, I want to say like January of 2020, and started writing in around February. And then um, the podcast came out in August. So 2020 is my first year podcasting. So I just wanted to look back at some of my favorite moments from Vixen, some of my favorite episodes, and just share um, what I think are like some of the best moments that we've had on Vixen so far. Um, I have a lot of stuff coming up for you guys. If you follow me on Instagram, um, you can stay tuned with all of that. We got the Vixen Book Club coming very, very soon. Um, And a couple other things that I can't talk about yet, but I'm really, really excited about. Um, so yeah, I just want to kind of reflect on where we've been and what we've talked about and just get ready for some great episodes in the future. Um, so Vixen is going to go on a very short hiatus for the holiday season. So this episode is going to come out the 23rd of December, and then there won't be a new episode of Vixen until January 6th. And it's an episode that I think you guys will be really excited about. So I'm very excited about it. Um, And then we have, after that, we have a few more episodes until um, the season finale and we go on break for um, um, until season three. And that is when we will start our book club during that break. So um, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at the Vixen Memoirs. It'll be linked in the show notes as well. Um, So you can stay tuned with the book club and all the things we're going to be doing while the podcast is in its off season. But for now, um, enjoy this recap episode, this roundup episode, and I will see you guys with a brand new episode on January 6th. Happy holidays. Bye. You guys can't tell by now. It was really important to Melissa to not come off like, well, a whore, for lack of a better word. Um, Melissa and the other video vixens were obviously heavily judged by men. But a lot of the judgment came from women too, especially quote-unquote intellectual women. Ironic actually, especially now that we're witnessing how sex positive the feminist movement is today. Because in the early 2000s, these feminists, they they was not with the video vixen movement. I mean, we're going to talk at some point during this podcast about like the tip drill video mania and like a lot of other um, videos that kind of shook hip hop up a little bit, you know, with women and objectifying women. But anyway... Hip-hop feminist writer Karen R. Good wrote of Video Vixens, but as of late, many of hip-hop's children have been playing the cheapest trick, depending on undulating female colored bodies to entice weak minds and compensate for weak rhymes. Or our bodies are used for verbal target practice. I am way past anger. Shock went out of the window with bitches ain't shit. Don't feel like being sad. I just wonder about the worth of a black girl. You know, like the difference between what happens when little white girls go missing and little black girls go missing. Or get raped, pissed on, that type of shit. That said, not one more lecture. I put my hands up. 
Man, if you want to swipe a credit card down the crack of a woman's behind or miss, if you want to let your ass be the machine, fine. To each his own. The culprit is not hip-hop, which is undergoing a beautiful evolution, by the way. It's our reliance on the baser nature as opposed to the higher mind. Hip-hop is the thinker's form. That music at this time, please remember this, y'all, was kind of going through like a conscious movement. I feel like the neo-soul uh, movement was kind of like coinciding with this. So people were saying some, you know, misogynistic stuff at this time. And I guess I get the sediment of what Karen R. Good was saying here, but I just feel like comparing appearing in videos as a consenting adult, you know, as a love interest to like children getting raped and kidnapped and pissed on I mean I just feel like that's a weird flex I don't know about y'all but you see the kind of mindset that Melissa was dealing with at this time I feel like if you sent some internalized misogyny from Melissa it's probably because of statements like this you know um so I think that these types of attacks from black women to other black women who show agency over their own bodies and aren't being bogged down by the patriarchy are based more on trying to distance yourself from this stereotype more than actual disgust. So this is a condensed quote from Viewing Videos, Class Differences, Black Women, and Interpretations of Black Femininity. Uh, it was written by Adia Harvey Wingfield and Melinda Mills. Black women's discourse often upholds racialized patriarchal ideas about sexual behavior. The research suggests that the images in rap videos can and do influence the ways young black women think about relationships and body image. They suggest that middle and upper class black women may adopt a politics of respectability wherein they enforce traditional ideals about appropriate gendered behavior among themselves and working class black women as a way of offsetting pervasive cultural stereotypes about black female sexuality. By quote unquote doing difference in this unconventional way, these women re reproduce multiple hierarchies of race, gender, class, and sexuality, even as they strive to avoid being subjected to these stereotypes. So basically what that's saying is black women often have a politics of respectability that if you don't fit into it, you are going to get clowned, you are going to get dragged. I definitely think that women who are middle to upper class or just like have a little bit of privilege they definitely tend to look down on other women. So I think that was what was happening a lot here. Very similar to if you guys listened to the first episode with Jennifer Jackson, the first black uh, Playboy Bunny. Um, there was a lot of that going on in that episode too. So I think that was happening a lot here as well. Marielle Miller-Young, professor of feminist studies at UCAL Santa Barbara, coined the term illicit eroticism. Um, and she, this is how she describes it. The illicit eroticism economy symbolically and strategically produces gender identities through the commodification and manipulation of private sex acts. In some of her works, Professor Miller-Young shows how young black women in the sex industry, and that includes models, video vixens, strippers, and porn stars, y'all, that's all the umbrella, um, employ hypersexuality and illicit eroticism to achieve mobility, erotic um erotic autonomy and self-care basically what they what this quote is saying and what illicit eroticism means is that some women will use sex to get in a position that they deem better than their current one to get further in life or get further in their career but it doesn't mean that they don't enjoy the act or feel taken advantage of by the act i personally in my opinion i don't think there's anything wrong with um capitalizing you know 
through sex. I mean, women have been, this is a tale as old as time. Women have been capitalizing through their bodies, their beauty for years. You know, that's never going anywhere. I don't personally have a problem with people, you know, using what they got to get what they need. You know, you do what you have to do. And if your beauty and your looks can help you and propel you to where you want to go, who are we to tell you not to use it? So anyway, um, at this time, like I said, Colin Farrell was at the prime um, of his career. He was definitely one of the hottest male actors in Hollywood. Um, Nicole was interested in acting and she if she really did release this tape, she might have thought that peddling their tape would grant her access into higher Hollywood circles and get her better gigs. And I mean, sometimes that works when people take that kind of approach and I mean sometimes because it's definitely not all the time, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. I believe that this is an opportunity for us to get really real about this kind of stuff. So let's get real, y'all. <laughs> let's be brutally, brutally honest. So the aftermath and effects of a sex tape are way more negative, in my opinion, for black women than they are for their counterparts, even if their partner in the tape is not black. So that means basically that... When black women have sex tapes, and there truly have not been a lot, there have not been a lot of prominent black women who have had sex tapes come out where they're like this big, you know, media thing. So it, I mean, when you think of the women who poke out in your head, the black women who have had this happen to them in your head, they are not, um, there's not as many as white women and other women. And the the effects of what happened are way more crucial and way more harsh than their counterparts. Just saying. So anyway, um, actually, surprisingly enough, I was really, really surprised at this because I had no idea. So two years after Colin and Nicole's sex tape thing happens, Kim Kardashian's happened two years later. Her sex tape with Ray J made a huge splash. Um, I know you guys know that story. The situations are very similar. So the man is the more famous one with more to lose, at least at that time. <laughs> um, and the women were accused of leaking the tape. So both Kim Kardashian and Nicole Narang were accused of link of um, leak, leaking their own respective sex tapes. So the experience must have been obviously extremely traumatic and devastating for Kim Kardashian. But we all know how her life propelled after that tape her and her entire family's life completely changed after that sex tape and these days when I think of Kim Kardashian I don't even think about that sex tape that is not the first thing that crosses my mind because she has parlayed herself into so many other avenues ventures and just all types of areas of pop culture we don't have to get into that but when I think about that especially that that only happened two years after Nicole Narain I can't help but wonder in my Carrie Bradshaw voice, why did this not happen for Nicole Narang? So a few years after Kim and Ray J, Mimi Foss of Love and Hip Hop fame also had a sex tape scandal. So I want to um, share a quote from My Job is to be a Bad Bitch, locating women of color in post-feminist media culture on Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. And this quote um, was written by Melvin Williams, who is a professor at Alabama A&M. And he discusses the aftermath of Mimi's tape. So let me just say, like, the fact that there are, you know, professional, like high level very intelligent studies on love and hip-hop says a lot about i i love that like i love that i can find something like this critical and this thought-provoking on love and hip-hop because i mean 
I just feel like it's great because love and hip hop, you know, is a big part of pop culture, especially, you know, around this time, late 2010. So anyway, um, Professor Melvin Williams says Mimi emphasized her role as a business owner in her decision to use sexual power for upward mobility in releasing a sex tape. Mimi declared to a critic of her decision. I can either let this tape run around for free or I can be a fucking businesswoman about this shit and capitalize off it. End quote. So. Both of these women, now we're talking about Nicole, Noreen, and Mimi Foss. They're both popular for modeling, and they both um, are popular for dating famous people. We know Mimi dated Stevie J. She was in Pharrell's front-end video, and I think she was in a couple other videos as well. So these are both women that, you know, are sort of known. At this time, Mimi is even further along um, than Nicole had been because she had been starring in a hit reality TV show for three seasons by the time the sex tape came out. So people know who Mimi Foss is, right? So she did the same thing that Nicole um, allegedly did. Um, And we all know that Mimi did have a part in um, the release of her sex tape, as we found out on the show. Um, But similar to Nicole, nothing really happened for Mimi's career after that. Uh, She continued to be on Love and Hip Hop. She's still on it today. And I think she released like some special edition shower rods. Um, But that was really it. Mimi was made fun of and laughed at by cast members, by the general public. I mean, it was like a key. The whole situation was a key. I mean, her sex tape co-star, that dude, whatever his name was, he even embarrassed her on the show as well. So the tape really didn't do anything for Mimi. Um, Mimi was not able to capitalize off her labor, which was sex, Um, at least not in the degree that Kim Kardashian was. And I think that that shows us clearly how sex tapes affect black women differently. So even if you do believe that Nicole leaked this tape herself and who like even if she did take that out of the equation Mimi also had a hand in leaking her tape people accused Kim Kardashian of leaking her tape as well even if you take that aspect out of it like for someone to be able to propel themselves and their entire family into global superstars uh, um, become a pop culture icon from a sex tape and for it to not happen for these two black women as well It's just very shady to me. Like there's just something about that that is just, you know, weird. So if we really want to get into some real tea, Nicole Noreen is absolutely gorgeous. Um, She's just as pretty as Kim Kardashian, who's also beautiful. She was incredibly sexy. Nicole was already known in Hollywood circles, similar to how Kim was. Kim was, you know, hanging around Paris um, and hanging around Nicole. And, um, you know, Nicole already had a pretty successful career herself. She didn't come from money like Kim did, but she was, you know, had a lot going for her too. So why was she not catapulted into fame and offered opportunities? I mean, she might have been and maybe she just didn't take any of them. Um, was there some kind of clause in the settlement that her and Colin Farrell made that barred her from capitalizing off of her newfound fame? Was it that Nicole didn't come from a rich family, didn't have a savvy mom, didn't know how to navigate Hollywood? I mean, it could have been a number of things, but I think it's just really interesting that the Kim Kardashian sex tape happened so, um, shortly after Nicole. Luckily for Jennifer, her parents didn't have a negative reaction towards their daughter posing nude, which I thought was pretty cool for the 60s. Um, Her father was a wealthy real estate broker, and he even became a member of the Chicago Playboy Club after the photo shoot. The only person who really felt shame over these photos is Jennifer herself. So 
As I'm sure we all know, boldly displaying your sexuality to the public is a slippery slope for all women. And this was especially complicated in the 1960s and probably even more so for black women. In their 2012 journal titled Viewing Videos, Class Differences, Black Women, and Interpretations of Black Femininity, sociology professors Adia Harvey Wingfield and Melinda Mills expand on this idea. Here's a quote. Middle and upper class black women may adapt a politics of respectability wherein they enforce traditional ideals about appropriate gendered behavior among themselves and working class black women as a way of offsetting pervasive cultural stereotypes about black female sexuality. Basically, what that's saying is, as a black woman from a middle class family, Jennifer might have had feelings about bringing shame to them by taking the photos or thought she quote unquote branded herself too early and would never be able to achieve anything outside of the nude pictures. Jennifer spent many years embarrassed about being a Playboy centerfold. In 1999, she attended a Playboy reunion, and she says that is where she finally got closure about taking the photos. Although Jennifer felt some kind of way about her photos, they did have an impact that she can't deny because this random decision she made to take these photos actually ended up being a part of a larger conversation about race that was happening in the country. So America was in the heat of the Vietnam War at this time, and Jennifer received many letters from black soldiers who were proud to see someone who looked like them in the magazine. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Jennifer said, I got so many fan letters coming from those guys, it broke my heart. A lot of them never came back, and some of them who did were really messed up. Mother whose name I don't know. I'm sorry, y'all. I could not find her mom's name anywhere. Uh, her mom was not received positively around the island. I mean... Corinne's mom had what we would call a bad reputation. Um, she had a reputation for sleeping with married men or men who were just like unavailable. Like she didn't seem like the kind of woman that made good choices with the men she dated, basically. Um, so naturally, her mother was the basis of a lot of gossip. And that typically happens um, really anywhere, but especially on small islands like St. Thomas. Like, of course, word travels far. So it was like very known that um, Corinne's mother slept around uh, with married men so she just like I don't know people didn't like her mother and it definitely put a strain on um, Corinne's relationship with her mother because Corinne was constantly embarrassed you know and also Corinne felt like her mother was in competition with her she just felt like because she was younger than her mother and smarter than her mother and actually well received and well liked um, her mother didn't like her because of it so here's a quote from will I ever be good enough Healing the Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers by Carol McBride. All healthy mothers are proud of their children and want them to shine. But a narcissistic mother may perceive her daughter as a threat. If attention is drawn away from the mother, the child may suffer retaliation, put-downs, and punishments. The mother can be jealous of her daughter for many reasons. Her relationship with her father, her looks, her youth, material possessions, accomplishment, education... This jealousy is particularly difficult for the daughter as it carries a double message. Do well so that your mother is proud, but don't do too well or you will outshine her. It seems like Corinne's mother put a lot of emphasis on her looks and desirability, obviously. I mean, her mother was known as a very beautiful woman, although she wasn't liked. So I think she put a lot of value into that. So to see her daughter be equally as beautiful and really smart and well-liked, as well as having youth on her side, I think her mother might have felt threatened by her. 
So in order to promote the magazine, the brand, the clubs, Playboy would send their new playmates on college tours around the country, but Jennifer was not allowed to go on any of these trips. And Hefner explained it to her saying that he couldn't properly protect her in the era of the civil rights movement. And this kind of sounded like a cop out to me the first time I read it. But going back to what was going on with Playboy at the time, I kind of see why he felt that way. So as I said earlier, the Miami and the New Orleans clubs opened up pretty much right after the Chicago club took off. And if I remember correctly, I believe it was the New Orleans club. New Orleans was not happy with the fact that Playboy was hiring black women to work as bunnies. They were like, hell no, shut it down. No black women. And they wanted Playboy wanted to say, fuck that. Excuse my language. Playboy wanted to just be like, well, fuck these people. We're going to have black people working at this club because in our other locations, black people work at this club. But they I think that they decided not to for the first year because they didn't want to lose their liquor license. They didn't want to have people messing with them to get the club shut down. They wanted to be able to protect the black people who worked at the club. So if I remember correctly, what happened was like the first year or two of the New Orleans club, black people were not allowed to work there. Um, and then after that, they were able to have black people working there. I think that they franchised it out or they they did something. There was some kind of loophole. So that's just like to show you guys why Jennifer was really not allowed to go um to go on these college tours. And again, this was like the heat of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., all of that stuff. So that was what was happening around them. So the reason why a lot of government officials and city officials probably didn't like Playboy is because at that time, Playboy offered their platform to a lot of prominent black activists and artists. Um, so Alex Haley, who wrote The Roots, once worked at Playboy um, and he interviewed Martin Luther King Jr. He interviewed Malcolm X for them, Muhammad Ali and Sammy Davis Jr. So I think that that probably could have been a reason why Playboy was being targeted in this way and why they had to be really careful with the way they moved with the business. So anyway... After her centerfold debut, Jennifer went on to be a pretty successful model. She signed with Ford Models, and she worked with Eileen Ford herself, and then she also signed to Black Beauty, which was an agency that only hired black models. Playboy wasn't the only place where Jennifer made history. She was actually also the first black model to be in advertisements for Cool Cigarettes and Clairol, both of which were published in Ebony. She was also the model in the ad for Ebony's 1965 fashion fair show. Like I said, Buffy was really excited about the video dropping as anyone would have been. And the video premiered on BET and when she saw it, most of her parts were edited out in a version they showed, but not the actual video. So the, B the BET version was edited and they basically only showed her from the waist up when they did show her or they cut her scenes out completely. So Buffy was clearly upset by this and she called up a friend who worked for BET who told her that the network was trying to clean up their image. And if you guys have seen that video, you will know that this is extra nuts because Buffy had on a long black dress the whole time in the video. It literally was like knee length. It might have went past her knees. Um, I read a study called Intersectional Impact, Black Students and Race, Gender, and Class Microaggressions in Higher Education by Professor Erica M. Morales. And it followed about 60... Yeah, probably like 50 to 60 students, um, all from different backgrounds as far as like money, class, upbringing, everything. 
And they did a study where they also followed the non-black students at the school, and pretty much all of them believed that um, those black kids individually were low-income or overly sexual or both. And this is a quote from that. Black women have also been constructed as hypersexual and more specifically promiscuous. During slavery, black female slaves were often viewed as seductive Jezebels available for white male slave owners' sexual gratification through violent assault and rape. Today, black women, particularly those from low-income and working-class backgrounds, find themselves characterized as overly sexual and highly fertile. So that quote right there is not super relevant to what happened with this video, but I do feel like people do categorize black women, especially dark-skinned black women, as being overly sexual. Because she probably had the most clothes on out of all the women in that video. And for them to, like, single her out specifically and cut her out, it just shows you that people really do think of black women as hypersexual. And, I mean, it's just really unfortunate that that happens. I mean, you know, like, when you walk outside, if you got on a skirt, you know, people going to say, have a lot to say versus, like, a white girl walking down the street who has on a skirt and so forth, you know. So I think that, you know, BET, like, over-sexualized Buffy because of her body and the way she looks. And I don't think her being... Um, dark skin helped as well and they judged her even though she had on a damn long dress but back to the story so after this experience rightfully so Buffy wasn't really interested in doing videos like that anymore but she did appear in You Can't Stop the Rain uh, by DJ K Slay and a whole bunch of other people <laughs> and Oh Yes by Joelle Santana she was also often accused by other video models <clears throat> <clears throat> of sleeping with artists to be in videos, which is weird because Buffy really wasn't in a lot of videos. Um, so I don't even know if you can, like, really categorize her as a video. She's a video vixen because she was, you know, in a couple. But she's really a model, you know. Um, so to accuse her of sleeping with artists, like, she wasn't in enough for her to be doing that. But I also think that that's another effect of colorism. They're like, oh, dark-skinned girl, super thick, like, you got to be sleeping with them to get in these videos. So, nonetheless. career did take off after the premiere of So Seductive, and she actually says, my ass was the winning ticket. <laughs> she went on to shoot spreads for Black Men Magazine, who actually gave her five of their SXX editions. That's basically when the whole issue just features one person. So she had five of those. She worked with XXL in their eye candy section, which I love. That's like my favorite. Um, she did a uh, personal calendar. She hosted a lot of parties. In 2005, she was named their Eye Candy of the Year. She was also nominated for Vibe Video Goddess of the Year. And she made Black Men Magazine's uh, 101 Sexiest Women list. And in 2006, y'all know she was in ATL. She played Big Booty Judy. Thank you for listening to Vixen. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave a review. If you have a submission, feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode.